want you to find your way in your copy of the scripture, please, to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. I want you to find Acts chapter 4. And I want to read, if I could, start reading into a section that will help us understand where in the world we got this title for today's study, Where Unstoppable Comes From. Where Unstoppable Comes From. Acts chapter 4 and verse 5. And it came about on the next day that their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas the high priest was there, and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them, Peter and John, in the center, they began to inquire by what power or in what name have you done this? A man had been healed, a visible figure in the community, particularly the temple community, regularly positioned in a visible place to ask alms of the people as they came in. Peter and John, Acts 3, you remember, silver and gold have we none, but such as we have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he got up and walked. Such a crowd gathered, and Peter rose to speak to them, and the response was overwhelming. And the rulers of the Jews, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin became threatened by all of this that was going on. And so they basically arrested Peter and John, put them in jail overnight, and, and then called them before this group. This being the same group, the same faces that put Jesus on trial, and the circumstances there, as we know, resulted in his death and his burial and his resurrection. But it also was the time of Simon Peter's denial of fear overwhelming him in the presence of these men, the threat of what they might do to him because of his association with Jesus. The faces haven't changed, the names haven't changed, but something inside Simon Peter was radically different. Yeah. Keep that in mind. When they had placed them, verse 7, in the center they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. 
Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to go aside out of the council, they began to confer with one another saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them not to, to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go finding no basis on which they might punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened for the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Back to verse 20. Back to verse 20. Back to the problem in the middle of verse 20. Let me tell you where the book of Acts becomes a problem. This entire book, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, where it becomes a problem. When we refuse to read the book of Acts as if it was nothing more than the recording of historical events that occurred at a period of time that involve people that we have no connection with, end of story. It's fun to read. It's exciting to realize what God did once upon a time. But the problem really is when we understand why the book of Acts is even in your Bible. It is so that we would know what God can do filling people with his spirit, anybody, anywhere, any time on the face of the earth. It, it, it is not intended to be a historical event book where we just marvel at what God did. It is to be the unfolding, the unveiling of the heart of God as to what he desires to do in every generation of the church, in every child of God's life, not expressing himself in exactly the same way in every child of God's life because we're all unique, we're all different. But the point is, if the Spirit of God can fill Simon Peter the coward, Simon Peter the denier, 
and turn him into a champion for Christ, then he can do the same thing in you and me if we are filled with the same spirit that Simon Peter was filled with. It's a listing of examples. It's a listing of what God is able to do. It's a listing of what God wants to do. For we cannot stop speaking. Unstoppable. The, the, the word, I just, we just need to take that apart a little bit. The, 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 again, the Bible wasn't written in English, all right? So we've got we to take it out of the original language and bring it into some ways that we in English, who understand mainly English, can understand. For we, for we cannot stop speaking. We are not able to stop speaking. We do not have the power to stop speaking. We can't stop speaking of the things which we've seen and heard. Whatever this is going on inside of these people, inside of Peter and John, was as far as they were concerned, unstoppable. It wasn't something they could turn off. It wasn't something that they were even able to walk away from. There was another kind of power that came to be greater than the power within themselves that caused them to keep on speaking in the way that they kept on speaking with the content that was involved in the speaking until they were through. Where does unstoppable come from? I want you to turn, if you would, back a couple of pages in your Bible to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, and these words from Jesus, again, raised from the dead. For 40 days, Luke will record that he is teaching on the things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, as Jesus would say, was not to be observed out there, not to be observed in a building or some circumstance out there. Jesus would say, if you are to see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is to be found within you. The coming of the rule and the reign of the king, Jesus, into the hearts of people. For 40 days, Jesus taught on that subject, it says. But then he, in verse 4, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water... But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? Is that what you're talking about? It's a geopolitical event. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority regarding those things, regarding the ultimate visible expression of the kingdom." But look what he says in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Well, as soon as Simon Peter heard, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
it's very likely that there could have been panic that just ravaged his body because he knew what he had done the last time that he had an opportunity to identify himself with Jesus. He had no power to stand in the fire. But Jesus is saying, I know that. In effect, I know you don't have the ability to effectively represent me on your own. I'm not expecting you to be a witness of me on your own. I'm promising to you. I'm giving to you. I'm conveying to you a kind of power that you have never had. But if the church is going to be the church, if the kingdom of God really is going to come and operate in you, you're going to have to have this kind of power. This kind of power. The, the, the power that is spoken of is not electrical power, not hydraulic power, not emotional power, not charismatic personality kind of power. The word that Jesus uses when he says, but you shall receive power, is the word unmistakably, whenever it was used in the scripture, it always spoke of supernatural power. It spoke of miraculous power. It spoke of the kind of power that would flow through Jesus when he would say to Lazarus, who had been dead going on three days, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, a dead man, came waddling out of the tomb, and they had to unwrap him to get the alive Lazarus loose and free to live again, to walk again. When he would say to the storm, on the Sea of Galilee, peace be still, and the lake would slick off like Lake Travis on an early morning. When there'd be a demon-possessed child and thrown into the fire, and the daddy couldn't do anything to stop it from happening, and Jesus rebukes the demon and sets the child free. When lepers would come to him, and lepers covered in their sores would be, would be made whole, would be made clean, Again and again, and he would, take, he would take ones into his care, put his hands on the sick. It would record on more than a couple of occasions where through the night, Jesus just again and again would lay his hands on people, and those people would get well. Supernatural kind of power. Miraculous, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. But there was... There were other dimensions of that kind of supernatural, miraculous power. When Jesus was enabled in the wilderness to stand up against the forces of darkness, the temptations, for those 40 days without any bread, without any water, without any creature comforts, and again and again and again, the, the enemy came after him and tried to push against him and tried to seduce him and tried to cause him to stumble. But not once did Jesus give in to the lies of the enemy. The things that Jesus would say, the, the wisdom that would come out of him, the counsel that he would give, the compassion that would flow out of him, the woman caught in adultery and thrown at his feet, and instead of taking the side of those who were 
wanting to have her condemned, he, he steps close to her, bends down low to her, and where are those who condemn you? Neither do I. Go your way and sin no more. All of those kinds of supernatural, miraculous expressions of mercy, of, of, of deliverance, of healing, of on and on and on they go. But you, 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 church, you followers of me, you who are weak in your own ways, in your own life, you shall receive that kind of power. And you shall be my witnesses. Now here's something. John the Baptist said there's one way that you're going to know when the Messiah has come. John was baptizing. He was the forerunner. You remember that. Consistently recorded in the Gospels. I baptize with water. But there's one coming. And here's how you'll know he's come to you. Here's how you'll know you've encountered the Messiah. Here's how you'll know the anointed one endued with power for the specific purposes of God to set the captives free and to present the truth of God. Here's how you'll know you have met the Messiah. He said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with his spirit and with fire. Baptize means to plunge, dip, or immerse. Get sopping wet. I get your clothes wet, John says. I get your skin wet. But there is one coming who has the ability to cause the inside of you, the invisible parts of you, to be saturated, to be soaked in, to be thoroughly covered and filled with his own spirit. His own spirit. Ezekiel would say, Jeremiah would say, there is a day coming when there's a new covenant that God will work between himself and men and women. And it will be that in that day, my spirit will write across the hearts of men and women my law so that they won't have to be looking for a Bible out yonder or a scroll out there to figure out what pleases me. They will have the law of God written across their hearts so that it won't be a standard that's held up on the outside. It'll be a want to that's burning on the inside. And I got to tell you, there, there are folks saying amen back to me and waving things right now that would say, I, I know what it was like to be on the other side of that. I know what it was like to not have a heart for God, to, to, to mock his commandments and to, and to despise people who were trying to live right. But oh my goodness, I understood finally that I couldn't break the law of God. The law of God broke me. And I'm realizing that, that as a sinner, I needed mercy, I needed to be forgiveness. And pastor, I'm telling you, it was the mercy of God by the spirit of God that has written his law across my heart. You wouldn't believe what I used to do on my former Saturday nights. You, you wouldn't believe where I wouldn't be on a Sunday morning. But now look at me, clothed and somewhat in my right mind. And glad to be in the house of the Lord. Saying amen and hallelujah and thank you, Jesus. When those used to be curse words to me. Folks, he has the ability to take us no matter where we have been and what we have come from. And listen to this. 
Not about getting wet on the outside. Not about getting your clothes in a white robe wet. But it's about the loving power of the living Jesus Christ to drench you on the inside with his presence, with his power, with his love. Now, the reason I'm hollering about that this morning is because I feel like there are some times when we as Christians, as folks in the church, we, 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 we've got this system, we've got these organizations, we've got these buildings, we've got electricity that can sometimes substitute for the power of God. Sometimes I wonder, what in the world would happen to the American church if the power went off, electricity just went off? What would we then do? Because you can't fake it when there is no sense of the power of God. Where, where he is wanting us to understand is where he's taking us. This matter of you and me being filled with the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, is not just a corollary truth. It's not just an adjunct paragraph. It's not just something that is reserved for the, for the few and far between. Central, central, cardinal, if you want to use that word, truth for the church to understand. Do you realize, and let me say this, I don't mind to throw a Bible at me. Don't, don't, don't put your Bible, if you feel like you think to throw it, put it on your chair. Before the Scripture was written, before the New Testament was written, do you realize it would be 1,500 years before there would be a printed New Testament available for Christian people? 1,500 years where the only thing that was available to the church was the filling, the empowering of the Holy Spirit of the living Jesus. But some way or another, folks, we put the Bible, again, don't throw it at me, we put the Bible, knowing the Bible, mastering the Scripture, being able to navigate from the table of contents to the maps and backwards, and pride ourselves in the process of that in thinking we understand God, we, we have all that there is to know of God because we have the Bible. You can have the Bible and have no power. You can quote Scripture. Satan quotes Scripture. But he does not have the power of the Spirit of the living Jesus. Now, that is not to minimize the careful study of the Scripture. It, it, it is not to make light of the pursuit of the Scripture. But the Apostle Paul would say, there is no commandment, Galatians, there is no commandment that has in it the power to give life. You can study all day long about why you shouldn't commit adultery. Study all the verses in the Bible of why we shouldn't lie. But just studying the truth is not the same as the power to obey what's there being conveyed. So Jesus... Right off the bat, Acts chapter 1, he didn't say, all right, Matthew, get out your pen. Luke, who hadn't even been a part of the group yet, Luke, get ready. 
John, Paul, Paul, get ready to write. Because he knew that until they understood what it was to be clothed with power from on high and filled with his spirit, their words, written words, would carry no authority, would have not been conveyed from heaven. It would just be coming out of religious thought, religious pursuit. So he says, here's, a, here's what you need. Here's what the church needs. It's not information. It's impartation. It, it, it's not just having a roadmap for how to evangelize the world. Don't even start there. You wait until God by his spirit fills your chest with his power. Until your brain, your mind, you, there's a sense that you have the mind of Christ now. There's another power working inside. So Paul would say in answering, so, so who is the spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Sometimes that, that gets us all boogabooed. We don't know about that. that just, that's kind of weird. Paul would say, and let this in, the Lord is the Spirit. He never used the word Lord unless it was connected with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Spirit. That means the invisible, not physical, but the invisible spiritual presence of Jesus is the Spirit. It is the Spirit of Jesus. It is the Spirit of Jesus. It is the Spirit of Jesus. For, for Jesus to say, but you shall receive power. It means, and when the Holy Spirit is coming upon you, but you shall receive power, that there will be, there will be something that you're going to get your heart around, your hands on, you will lay hold of. But you shall lay hold of the spirit of the living Jesus. Now, folks, hear me. I, I just, I just kind of feel this coming back. And I'm going to tell you, there needs to be a dismantling of some cardinal theological teachings that we may have grown up with. And that being that, well, if I've given my heart to Jesus, if I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, I'm going to heaven, and I must have the Holy Spirit and everything they had in Acts. I must have that. Well, then we look at our lives, and we see how impotent we are and how wayward we are. We're nowhere close to, in many cases, how they lived it in this book of Acts the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the lives of normal and ordinary people. We need to understand that, yes, you can believe Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Yes, you know that he died on the cross for you. Yes, if you died right now, you'd go to be with him in heaven. Yes, so were all of these in Acts 1. that They watched him die. They knew that he died for their sins. They were looking at the one who was raised from the dead. If, if, if something happened at that point in time and they were all put to death, they would have gone to heaven. Yes, but Jesus says there's more. There's more. There's more than just knowing that your sins are forgiven. There's knowing 
the power of the living Christ exerting his strength, showing his love, speaking through your lips, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Now, what I'm, what I'm trying to do today is to point out how central this truth is to what the church is supposed to understand is our privilege, is our gifting and opportunity. It's not for some weirdos off out somewhere. It's not for some occasional something. It is the design of the God who chose you in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the earth. It is the design of your Abba Father for you to know what it is to have the sense of his power, his life, giving you strength and giving you direction in the tough places, in the challenging places of your life. Knowing that you are not an orphan, you are not alone, but that he's alive in you. Now, now, let me just point this out. If, if your life is just totally safe, you know, if there's no risk, if there's no real challenge going on, no place where you really need the power of God to show himself real inside you, then it's possible that you may just go all the way to heaven and never really know what you missed. But this is connected with this filling of the Spirit. Folks, listen, this filling of the Spirit is connected with assignments. It's connected with a mission. It's connected with the need for the strength to stand up to opposition when I'm pursuing the mission. The ability to not quit. The strength to not stop. Not when I'm in neutral, and every part of my life is in neutral. But when there is the sense that I do love him. And I am called according to his purpose. Therefore, I'm believing that he will cause everything to work together for good in my life, Romans 8, 28. But as I'm doing that, I'm pursuing as best I can his calling on my life. That may, may, may be the, the encounter between you and a family member or you and someone at work or some situation that's coming up. And it may not always be about having to declare the aspects of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and what that means for lost sinners. It may just mean in the process of you, of you being a good employee, of you, 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 you living out your family life, that there are some things that are challenges. There are things that you want to do right. You want the Lord to be honored. It's at that place. Lord, fill me. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Simon Peter didn't live every day walking through the temple and healing people. He didn't spend every day, he and John, before the Sanhedrin being interrogated and needing to speak. But those were situations that came up. Those were things that came their way. And in those settings, in those places where they naturally would have been left without the ability to respond or even to be present, says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said what he had to say. Listen, your, your mother-in-law may be running you crazy. You're, you know, I have the greatest mother-in-law that the Lord ever made, so I'm not talking about her. 
But you may have one, you know, that's running you crazy. There may be, I'm, I'm not talking about just churchy kind of stuff, folks. The power of the Holy Spirit to energize you with the love of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus, the strength of Jesus in the situations that you face day in and day out. Now, Paul came along later, not much later, but in Acts chapter 9, and I want you to, I want you to see this, student of the Word of God, child of God, son or daughter of the Most High King, I want you to see this. Chapter 9, Acts 9, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, asked for letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus, that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jesus, to Jerusalem. And he came back, remember, I'll just, I'll just summarize this. Jesus met him, verse 4, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you were persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it should be told you what you shall do. So Ananias meets him. Now, folks, I want you to look at this. What was Ananias sent to Saul to do? What was he to deliver? Verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now I want you to notice verse 17. And I want you to notice what is in verse 17 and what isn't in verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. He rose and was baptized. He took food and was strengthened. And before you know it, he's out preaching Jesus to the very ones that he was trying to, that he was a part of before, taking the side now of the followers of Jesus. But look how vital this is, that you may regain your sight. That's why I've been sent, and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm praying that, that this will begin to drop 18 inches, that it'll begin to settle in us from the top of our heads to the very bottom of the soles of our feet, that the living Lord Jesus Christ doesn't expect you to represent him, to live for him in your own strength. Just by trying to copy other Christians or just by trying to parrot what it seems like the scripture would say we ought to do. But his plan, his desire, because he knows us, we're going to need power that we don't have. It's not enough for a man to read all the verses on how to be a good husband. And know all the things about not to cheat, not to cheat on his wife. Well, how come, how come it is that adultery and promiscuity and junk is so rampant in the pews of the churches today? It's because we're thinking that somehow my getting the information is enough to transmit to my will 
so that my will will kick into gear and my will will choose what's right. The only problem is God knows that's not enough. All the good intentions, all the zeal, all the determination will fail us in time. The only thing that remains the steady source of strength is the river of living water that flows from the heart of God into our hearts, enabling us to do what we cannot do consistently without Him. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I just, I got to finish with this, but I want you to I want you to find the book of Ephesians, a letter that Paul wrote, more than likely from prison. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. My brothers and my sisters, look at this. Verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk in this life, not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but look at this. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. One more time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, there's just going to be some melody, some harmony that's going to start rising up inside of you and flowing out of you and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord and always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And guess what happens in verse 22, ladies? That's where you're told, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. It is so quiet in this room. Well, it's going to get quiet again in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. And then that last verse, let each individual among you love his own wife even as himself and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. Okay. No lady in this room is married to Jesus. Do I need to point that out? You're not married to the perfect man. Ladies and guys, we're not married to the pre-fall Eve. You know, We're not married to a perfect woman. So how in the world is it possible for a wife to honor her husband when she's married to a 24-carat dipstick. When, when, when some days chickens, some days feathers with the boy. 
And then with the wife, some morning she wakes up and the world is beautiful and all is good between God and earth. And then the next morning she wakes up and you don't know which planet the child is on. How, how is it possible for the wife to do what she's supposed to do and the husband to do what he's supposed to do? How is that possible? Context is everything. If we read those verses about wives and husbands, but we just jump into that writing without seeing what came first, and Paul says it, understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Because in the empowering of the Spirit, he's going to give wives what they need. He's going to give husbands what they need. He's going to give business people what they need. He's going to give sons and daughters what they need by the power of the Spirit. By the power of the Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking Him? Can I ask you a question? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to say amen. You don't even have to grunt. But here's the question. Have you ever asked the Father in the name of Jesus to fill you with his spirit? Now, it's astonishing how few of us would probably honestly say, maybe once, maybe never, when the scripture would say, would teach us, from the words of John the Baptist, back to the New Old Testament, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the words of Jesus himself, the testimony of Peter and John, what Jesus said Paul needs right after he needs his eyes open. The filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit of Jesus. And how we just cruise through day after day, situation after situation, and never even think about that. But what if it really is true? There is a helper who is available to help. But the Father bestows the help of the helper, the presence of the helper to those who are asking him. I'm just going to just, just give you an assignment. Try it for a week, Christian. Start your day. Lord, you know what I'm going to face. You know who's going to be after me. You know what the challenges are before me. You know what the things are that can work inside me that can cause me to be afraid, cause me to dread. Lord, would you fill me? Fill me with your spirit. I don't even know what I'm asking for, Lord. I don't even know what that's going to look like necessarily. Okay, now let me just jump right in there. Some of us say, well, that just means you're going to, be, you're going to have to speak with tongues. Now, I, I, I want to, you prove that 
that in every instance in the book of Acts where somebody got filled with the Spirit, there was automatically, they were speaking in a language they didn't understand. That happened sometimes. That happened in the lives of a number here in Alamo City, but there's probably an equally great number that that had never happened to, but you're walking in the power of the Spirit with the joy of God all over you and the boldness of Christ working in your life. Second chapter of Acts, they were filled with the Spirit. They spoke with unknown languages unknown to them. 3,000 get saved and baptized. There's no reference that they spoke in tongues. So you can't press, well, Acts 2, Acts 2, Acts 2. Well, one part, one not part. Then you move on over to Acts chapter 19, and Paul runs into the disciples of Ephesus. They, they get filled with the Spirit. They just heard about Jesus as far as forgiveness goes, but they didn't know the power of the Spirit. So they were filled with the Spirit, and they did speak in tongues. But Paul, when he got filled with the Spirit, there's no evidence that he You see what I'm saying? You get somebody who comes running at you with some kind of little, little microscope, well, you've got to have this, it's got to happen to you, it's got to be this way. You just say, look, would you just save your breath, move on to your next candidate, that I ain't that, not, because that's not in the Bible. You say, well, you've got to have what, you know, we want to have what happened in the book of Acts. Well, that's exactly right. It happened all kinds of ways in the book of Acts. Amen, bring it. Bring it on, Lord. Bring it on. The bottom line, end of story is that when he fills us with his spirit, there's going to be the sense of his presence. There's going to be the sense of authority. There's going to be the sense of freedom from the fear of a system, the fear of opposition, because he's, he's the one, he's the loudest voice, and we're, we're wanting to please him, and that's it. And we go on with him and trust him. And I believe it's also in that context in Galatians chapter 5 where Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. You remember that section? Wonderful, wonderful. But what if that is also tied to the assignment of the Lord? Walking out the calling of the Lord on your life and your family. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And as He fills you to empower you to take the steps tomorrow morning and Wednesday afternoon or when the Christmas gatherings come up, fill me with your Spirit. That's what I'm praying, that as a part of that, there's this unexplainable love for these idiots that have been so mean, you know, and have said such things, love and joy. They're coming at you one more time, and all you got is just joy in your heart. doesn't make a lick of sense, but what used to just torque you, some way or another, it just kind of glances off. And the joy of the Lord greater than the mean words they speak. The peace of God in my heart passing all understanding. I don't understand it, but I'm going with it. I'm going with it. You know, what if that? What if that's it? What if that's it? But some of us live like orphans. We live like orphans. Or, or, you know, an absentee father, an absent, that he's way off somewhere, he's out there, but when it comes down to helping me, being close to me, giving me counsel, I've been absent of that influence. What if a part of that is because I've never asked him? I've never asked him to fill me with his spirit. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will the Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who are asking him? 
Okay, so what, what's, your, what's your biggest worry coming into this week? What, what's the biggest mountain? What's the biggest obstacle? What's the biggest negative coming into this week? What if with that in mind, here's your prayer. Looking at that, here's your prayer. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with, we know what we're not capable of. It's time for us to find out what he is capable of inside of us. I know nobody, listen, the preacher can't pray that for you. Nobody can do that for you. You, you got to do it yourself, sir, ma'am. That's your prayer to your father. And I believe we could have some tales of glory this time next week. If we just determine, our Lord, I'm going I'm to try. That I, here's a place where I'm, where I'm empty. As I anticipate that, I'm empty. So I'm asking you to fill me so I'll have what you want me to have to face that. That's what it means to be filled, to fill up what's lacking, to endue, to impart. And even the word satisfy, to satisfy, to be filled, to satisfy. The Lord wants us to walk and live a satisfied life. Amen. 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 Lord, I thank you for this good news. I just, there's such hope, 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 hope. Where you don't, you're not the offensive coordinator sitting up in the press box calling down plays to run in, and, and, and we know we don't have the ability to, to run that play. We know have the ability that we, we can't block that enemy coming in. That's not how it works. You, you instead say that your name is Emmanuel. God with me. Christ in me is my hope of glory. That you will give to the Holy Spirit the invisible presence of Jesus in power to those who are asking for it. Lord, with every obstacle, with every challenge, with every need, would you grant that our automatic reflex reaction would be Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen.